are in Ephesians chapter 1. We are looking at the conclusion of the chapter, 17 through 23. We've spent a couple of three weeks in 15 and 16. And now we are going to conclude with Paul's petition, an understanding of our resources in Christ. If you would please follow in the reading of the Word of God. Verse 17. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelations in the knowledge of Him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power towards us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Father, we come today to see Paul's petition for the saints. And Father, I pray that it will become a passion of our souls, that we understand that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened, and that we, each and every one of us, will know the hope of what is our calling and the glory of his inheritance. And every child of the Most High God, his surpassing greatness towards us in accordance to the working of the strength of his might. Father, may we be overwhelmed. And Father, may we bow in humble adoration as we watch the glory that spoke existence into being stand firm and massive in our individual lives, but in the body of Christ collectively as your glory is pronounced in Christ and Christ alone. Amen. Our resources. Our resources. This is basically part two of the petition. Uh, We ended this last week dealing with an overview of the petition. We'll have another overview technically because I believe, if I'm not mistaken, and what I see in my dealings with other pastors and other churches, there is a... uh, a very huge lack of understanding what a Christian's resources are. And, you know, I I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, in your study of Scripture, your own private studies of Scripture, when you look at a text, ask yourself two questions. Is this my position or is this my practice? Because when you look at Scripture, that's all you're going to get. This is what you have. This is how you act because of what you have. All right. The problem is that with position is I know a whole bunch of people more so than I wish who know the biblical facts. But their actions tell me they're not convinced. Okay. Do we, 
Know what we possess in Christ. Because I would argue what I see, the answer is no. Because there's a, it's almost an obsession. And it, and it's, it, it's, it crosses all denominational lines that there is a quest for something more. And I believe that it's a plague on the body of Christ. It, it has an underlying idea that being in Christ is not sufficient. Being in Christ is the beginning. And I shared with you this morning the doctrine of dispensationalism and how that has fostered a lot of this. That you, at one point, you were saved. You were justified. You spend this life being sanctified. When your life is over, you are glorified. And it is amazing how many people either act that way or believe it fervently. The problem is, it's not biblical. Anywhere is it biblical. But if you're living your life in the process of being sanctified, then that means you are what? Seeking more. That being in Christ was just step one. See, it's almost like being in Christ doesn't get you all there is to get. There's more. And it is actually promoted across church lines all over the place. That you need to be extremely diligent to seek something else. You need to get more of Christ. You need to get more grace. You need to get more Holy Spirit. You need to get more power. I remember early in my Christian walk, I watched a whole lot of people walk an aisle. And dun, 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 we're adding another. The angels are singing. We're adding another. And it was a great celebration. And then I remember listening to the leadership that I was under at that time saying, we need to get them teaching a Sunday school class. And at first I thought, well, that's, why? Well, if they have to teach a Sunday school class, that means they have to get in the Bible. And then I watched that, and what I realized is, that's remember, I don't remember you guys were in, do you guys, some of you guys were, grew up in a church where you always had a Sunday school book, and it didn't really matter, you could have an adult class, a singles class, whatever class you were in, you had a Sunday school book. Okay, and what I found out was that the teacher is just one paragraph ahead of me. And I was like, wait a minute. And so, ever since that point in my life, if you guys watch me, I don't have a Sunday school book. Well, I do, but it's just, it's just a big one. Okay. And, and, and I, I never did understand that. But then I realized that it is because 
this obsession for more. You know what, brothers and sisters? I could give I could go on for a month of Sundays giving you nothing but examples of this. Okay, and I'm not, you know, yeah, I can go into, okay, Catholicism is you get saved and then you do the sacraments and mass and you do all of this stuff. And as you and that's what keeps it going for you. And eventually you'll start saying, oh, I I feel pretty good now. Okay, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the evangelical church. This is way more common than you would understand. It is actually almost, I would classify it as the norm. And I have watched it in great horror where it's like people are in line to get more resources of Jesus. And it's almost like I have to get to the point that I qualify. Now, listen, they're never going to say I earned it. But I need to qualify, you know. We did 24 hours of prayer in my church, and I did two solid hours. That's going to help me qualify. I have perfect attendance in fill in the blank. It's going to help me qualify. You're not going to say earned it. Okay. Uh, An evangelical is not stupid enough to say, well, he owes me. Well, I hope they're not stupid enough. If they are, then I give them, give them a wide berth. <laughs> okay? But no, um, and, 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 and I, what, what is amazing to me, there's no limit for what things they want to pursue. And they search for everything possible that they think they can get. I want to get all of the Jesus there is. I heard a pastor here in Castle Rock, a very large church, say that. I want to get all of the Jesus there is. Well, well, you either got it all or you ain't got any. So I don't know what you're chasing. Listen. The implications of this, we would look at this and say, well, you know, they're just striving to grow the church. They're striving to make disciples. They're striving to do this. Let me tell you something. The implications of this is that when you got saved, you didn't get all of Jesus that there is. Now, I don't know about you. That's strange. It's it's like uh, in my reasoning, I it's like getting the right to all, but not getting any of it. And now it's based on my activities to get the really cool stuff. Because see, we don't understand our position. My practice wants the cool stuff. And I'm trying to figure out what is their theology. That's the study of God. It is obvious if you are pursuing more Jesus. Or more stuff. You have got a seriously haywire theology. 
You know, we need more. We need more God. We need more Jesus. We need more Holy Spirit. We need more power. Or, do we have everything we need at the point of salvation? Listen, this is vital. It is neglected. And it is obvious that no one has paid attention to it. And listen, it manifests itself. I, when I first got baptized, the church that I was attending at that time was getting ready to build a, uh, what the heck do they call them things? A, a, a multifunction building. Okay? So on Sunday morning, you could stack a bunch of chairs out there and you could have church. And then on Monday, you can take and unstack all the chairs and you can put up a volleyball net. And then on Thursday, you can tear down the volleyball net and put the basketball hoops up. And that it is through all of that that we're going to reach more people because they'll all come and play sports in the auditorium. This is vital, brothers and sisters. Listen, the biblical view of salvation, the doctrine, is that salvation grants and gives every believer in Christ all. You're in Christ. And so it's what when I t- told you when I started into uh, dealing with Ephesians, that one of the amazing things that Paul keeps reiterating is in him, in Christ, in Jesus, in him, in him, because it freaked him out. And yet I look at the church today and say, these people don't understand this. Listen, you're wasting your time searching for something more. It is a complete waste of time. Well, you know, I have to do precept studies. Why? Why? Read your Bible. Read it. It's an amazing thing. I'm, listen, when you start searching for more, you undercut the doctrine of salvation. You are undoing when Jesus said, tell, tell us die. Tell, tell us die. It is completed. It is finished. There is nothing to be added to it. It is absolutely fulfilled. And when you think that, okay, I am now I'm in Christ and I need to seek more spirituality, you missed it. You do not understand salvation. There are those people who say something is missing. And therefore they what? They seek. They seek more. All right? Now, I can go through and show you every single church growth movement has bought this, that there's something more. I don't care who it is. I don't care if it's Willow Creek. I don't care if it's Saddleback. I don't care what the movement is. They're saying there's more. They're telling me loud and clear, I don't have a true knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
But I feel assured that I am tickled to death that Paul has pointed out to me, this ain't new. We like to think that there's new. This is a new phenomenon. Nope. Listen, one of the things I learned a long time ago, I took a, I audited a Greek class. And one of the first words that I ever ran into that just kind of blew me away was false teaching. Suto. Okay. And you think of false teaching. What do you think of that? Well, that's the pentagram and the goat's head and then this. Nope. That ain't it. It's parallel. Runs right alongside of it. There for a long time, I think they give up on me finally. I get the Mormons and the JWs show up at the house. And they never, the crazy people never asked me what I did for a living. And so when they would come in and say, you know, we've got good news, this, that, and the other. I'd say, you got one of them Bibles? And they said, yeah. And I said, hey, i got to answer some questions. So I could start going through that thing saying, hey, you guys tell me <laughs> that there is no Trinity. How's coming in Ephesians 3? It says, I went with the Holy Spirit to clean you up on the inside and this love for Jesus thing. And then God will do exceedingly abundantly. Can you explain that to me? What? And see, they go through, God bless them, they go through and correct their Bibles when they're pointed out wrong. And that's not really in there. Okay. But that's why I always ask them, let me see yours. Okay. And then then I ask them questions. Now, if you're not loaded for bear, don't mess with this. Okay. But when I see them come up, I'm like, already, here we go. (laughs) I'm, I'm about to torment me some souls. Okay, because last time they came, I had about five cars in my driveway, and they were all out there praying. <laughs> and uh, and I haven't seen them since, so uh, whatever. <laughs> it's like, it, hey, it didn't work. Anyway, this isn't new. I want you to know that. Okay, that there's more. It isn't new. Colossians chapter 2. One of the things that I, I, I learned about history, the t- church history, we look at things now... We don't, for whatever reason, we don't discern because a lot of the heresy that attacked the church at its birth is alive and well, but it's it's prettier. Okay, and see, we we immediately buy into well, they've got like thousands of people coming, so they've got to be what really deceived. Okay, all right. Now there's big churches that are preaching the unadulterated truth. But not many. I just heard a disturbing thing from David in between. And I knew a guy who knew his Bible inside and out. And what David told me, he knew his position. But he wasn't convinced of it. All right. He knew his, He knew what the book said. But for whatever reason, we, I mean, how, there's a guy here in Castle Rock who sat down. And wanted to explain to me that the earth is actually millions of years old and he can prove it by Genesis. And I was like, well, okay. He says, well, Yom. And he's, he's fluent in Hebrew. If you don't believe me, ask him. It says, Yom. See, look, Yom. He says, that's just a delineation of time. That could be millions and millions and millions of years each Yom. I was like, well, what does he do when the sun rises and the sun sets? Is it like being Alaska? It came up and a million years later it went down. Well, you know, that's just implied. It's like, well, then why did Jesus believe there were seven days? 
Because you know what's amazing? He was there. And I know what it is. He's trying to compromise to make it look like, well, science does have some important things that we need to embrace. They ain't got nothing I want to embrace. Did you hear that they missed <laughs> the eclipse mat by a half a mile to two miles? No, do you know that there are experts who know this and map it and they missed? And you're an expert at what? I mean, because there's some things that I know are constant. The earth, the sun, and the moon. How hard is that to figure out when they're going to cross? And they missed it. Well, you know, some people are going to be disappointed. <laughs> well, if you ain't got a welder's mask, you ain't going to know it anyway. And I have a welder's mask. I will be doing this. Oh, they missed it by a mile and a half. <laughs> Do you see what I'm trying to get at? We're willing to jettison truth because some idiot made a comment. They're going to tell me what the ocean level in Florida is in a hundred years. Okay? And it wasn't supposed to rain yesterday. Well, that's really cool because I can pick a hundred years. I'll be dead and you'll never know I was wrong. I, I see what I mean. You know, I love science, but I like true science. You come up with a theory, a hypothesis, you repeat it. If you can repeat it over and over, eventually it can become a law. I don't mind any of that, but I'm just, I'm just going to say something. Because Ted Danson says we should have been underwater in 1983. Yeah, yeah, the guy, the the movie guy. Yeah, yeah, that's who, the, that's who said it. I'm sitting there going, really? You think it's wrong? What do you do with Leonardo DiCaprio? He's a scientific expert. And they got him in front of Congress testifying on global climate change. You're an actor. You ain't real. See what I'm trying to get at, people? I like science. Okay, and I, I won't even touch the ex-vice president. Because that's, you're just sitting there going, oh man. So things haven't changed. The heresies, it goes all the way back to the garden when the snake said, has God said? Okay? Right? Has God said? And ever since then, it's, that's exactly what it is. That is what false teaching is. It comes right along. It acknowledges Jesus and then lays this thing right alongside of it. And you think, wow. And then all of a sudden you realize, well, look how more spiritual that person is because they added that. And we buy it hook, line, and sinker. And you're telling me you do not understand the doctrine of salvation. And if we don't understand the doctrine of salvation 2,000 years out, you know what? We deserve what we're going to get. All right. The early church was exposed to all kinds of heresy. It's very popular. Okay. And you know what the typical heresy was? Christ is the beginning, but is not enough. You must pursue more. Huh. That sounds familiar. 
Doesn't it? Paul writes this text that Christ is absolutely, totally, completely sufficient. Do we understand the sufficiency of Christ? You know, I, I told you a couple of weeks ago about lordship salvation and the, the brouhaha that came out about that. And it started when uh, Dr. MacArthur wrote his first book, The Gospel According to Jesus. And everybody had a conniption on it, except for one problem. It was biblical. Okay? And so it calmed down. And I mean, regular fundamentalist evangelicals were mad about it. And it calmed down, so he decided that it was too calm, so he wrote a second book. And it was called, The Sufficiency of Christ. And of course, the same culprits got mad. Why? Because you need Christ in the beginning, and then... But that ain't new. We have... (laughs) This is the verse that everybody likes. We... The Apostle Paul writing this letter. Now, you got to understand, Ephesians and Colossians was written in the same prison time. He was in jail. He had been to Ephesus. He had never been to Colossae. Verse 13 for, of chapter 1. He has rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Okay. King James says we were translated. <laughs> I like I've been translated. I can speak heaven. Okay. How important is this? Verse 19 of chapter 1. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all of the... Now, I want you to get this. For all of the fullness to dwell in Him. It was God's good pleasure that all of the fullness indwelt Jesus. Okay. Now listen, those are the central messages of the letter to the church in Ephesus and the letter to the church in Colossae, okay? The church in Colossae was experienced what exposed some to say that you need Christ plus, okay? The plus is what will make you spiritual, okay? That is what you will elevate you. That will make you more godly. That will make you more holy. It will make you more of a representative. Get this plus and you will get on to the good things. Okay. What were these pluses? What were these pluses? Back to chapter 2 of Colossians. First one. Christ plus philosophy. Okay. In the 1960s, basically what that is, add to Christ their own human wisdom. You add human wisdom to the reality of Christ. All right? See, in the 60s, the 1960s, this was what was called liberalism. Okay? And if you wanted to watch an evangelical go apoplectic, Tell him, I think you're buying into liberalism. Okay, because I mean, you think about it today, when we make that, it's kind of got to be, ooh, 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 I don't want liberalism. 
Okay? But what we've done now, because the liberals are really good. But it's like I said, you got two sets of track running, they're going to run right alongside. Now you know what they call it? It's pure liberal theology. You're going to add Madden's wisdom to it. All right? You know what it's called? Modernism. We want to bring the church into the modern age. And that's the essence of the church growth movement today. I don't care what picture you painted. In the 1960s, it would have been jettisoned as liberal. That's liberal theology. Today, it is modernism. And you add philosophy. Okay, now, listen, when I was in college, I took a class in philosophy. And everybody says, oh, really? And I said, yeah. And they said, well, why did you take philosophy? I says, you can't get the wrong answer. <laughs> I smiled. Because <laughs> all I had to do was smile at them and says, that's my philosophy. <laughs> okay, give me an A. <laughs> All right. I mean, you guys, see, I'm not as dumb as I act. I can, I can work this out, man. I'll get straight A's in college. Listen, let me ask you a question. You start with Christ. You are in Christ. But you add human reason. Really? You are in Christ. Let's add human logic to it. Okay? That is what it means to add philosophy. Verse 8, chapter 2. See to it. Now, this is really good. Okay? It it's literally means beware. Beware. See to it. Beware that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to, to, to the traditions of men. According to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Paul, see to it. The literal word in the Greek is beware. What? That you're not taken captive. To what? Human wisdom and reason, philosophy, deceit. Elementary principles of the world. Paul warns, listen, this is the ABCs of human religion. Human religion. It's philosophical rather than theological. It's not after Christ. Listen, they're basically saying... Is he sufficient? Has God said? Let me ask you a question. Do you really believe that the wisdom of man can make the gospel purer? Do you think the philosophy of man can purify the soul? And yet it is running rampant right now in the body of Christ. Second thing Paul is warning about comes in verse 16. I kind of title this, there's a lot of terminology that theologians use, but I call it legalism. Legalism. Okay? Verse 16. Therefore, 
No one is to act as your judge in regard to food or drink or in respect to the festival or new moon or the Sabbath days. Things which are a mere shadow of what is to come, but the substance, what? Belongs to Christ. Christ is sufficient. You don't have to do all the rituals. Your spirituality should never be judged by the rituals that you keep. Or you don't keep. Why? Verse 17. Those rituals, you know, we're in Leviticus right now, right? And we're reading all of this and you got to kill the chicken and bleed the duck and, and all these other weird stuff. You know, kill the bull and do it inside and put it on the door and all. Listen, those are all pictures. Those are pure shadows. Christ is the substance. Please, I have not come to abolish the law. I have come to fulfill it. Whoa. Why? Because you couldn't. Your spirituality should never be judged by what you do and don't do in rituals, sacraments, holy days. Those are pure, a mere shadow. Listen, he says that he is the substance. You know what that means to me when I read that? He is here. I'm not waiting. It's here. He's here. I don't have to go kill a bull. I don't have to go sleep with a lamb for a week so I can cut its throat. I don't have to do that. Christ is here. So it is definitely not Christ plus philosophy. And it's definitely not Christ plus legalism. Okay? There's a third thing that we add. And this is growing. I never realized. When I grew up as a kid, I had a bunch of people who lived down in uh, relatives, I guess. <laughs> That's how you spell it. I had relatives. I called them people, but they related to me. I had two cousins. One's name was Ad and Double Ad, were their brothers. And I remember going into the town where my grandma lived, and they were running for office. You had Ad and Double Ad. And I was like, God, and they're related to me. <laughs> but anyway, that was when I was growing up. We called them Holy Rollers. Did any of you guys? They did some really goofy stuff. I mean, you just said, ooh, ooh. Okay, because uh, we couldn't get TV or anything where she lived. She lived in a holler. It was up in a ditch. But anyway, uh, and you couldn't get TV. And there was one of those churches across the street from her house. On Saturday night, me and my dad and my brother would sit on her porch. She had one of these porches to go all the way around the house. We'd sit out there and watch these people. And it was hilarious. I mean, you're sitting there going, wow, man. They've been into the moonshine, ain't they? Because <laughs> there's some spiritual people going on right there. And then my uh, grandma raised, commercially raised chickens. And I thought, you know what? <laughs> Let's go turn them suckers loose and see what they do. <laughs> but we didn't. We didn't do it. But it, it did cross my mind. Okay. Verse 18. Let no one keep. Now look at the terminology he's using here. Captive. Defrauding. Judging. Okay, but here he says, verse 18, let no one keep defrauding you of your prize. 
by delighting in self-abasement and the worship of angels, taking his stand on visions that he has seen. Okay, the third thing that you add, they want you to add, you get Christ and you have a mystical experience. The word there you see, abasing, you know what that is? False humility. False humility. I remember a guy one time told me, he says, I am proud of my humility. You're like, oh, what? (laughs) Intruding into things that he has seen. I mean, basically, when I get that, I just think it's work that is not there. I remember one time when we were downtown, we were having a garage sale, a yard sale or something like that. And I just sitting out there minding my own business, had a lawn chair, uh, just minding my own business, watching the people go through and, and all the rest of it. And I kept looking over at the corner and this lady kept staring at me. And I was like, oh, man. What? So I just keep ignoring her. I just keep ignoring her. And all of a sudden she makes a beeline across the street. And I was like, well, she wants to buy some something here. Maybe. I don't know. She came up and says, excuse me, sir. And I was like, oh, great. What? What? She says, I just want you to know something. I said, what's that? She says, I've been watching you. And do you realize how many thousand angels are around you? No. I can't say that I've seen one this morning. I said, no, I can see them. I said, well, good. She says, if you would like, I can teach you how to control them. I looked at her and says, I don't need to know that. I know their boss. <laughs> I mean, get away from me. You're creeping me out. And I'm, I'm glad I got a thousand angels around me. I wish I could get one to kick your end <laughs> and get you away from me. But listen, that's just down here. Don't think that this ain't alive and well. Right? But they get into this, and this is growing. Now, you think about it. Even if you could see a thousand angels around somebody, would you go up and talk to them about it? No, nah, man, they're going to call the cops on me. But, uh, you know, I've learned a long time in my ministry that, you know what, if somebody says they got a, a, a pink elephant angel in their living room, I am not going to talk them out of it. Fine. Feed it some peanuts. Okay, it's growing and it's based on the fact that Christ isn't enough. You've got to have a vision. I grew up in the 60s and 70s. I had them every Friday and Saturday night. It didn't have anything to do with Jesus. Or angels. Listen, if you go talk to an angel, you'll have a deeper experience. You know what? Every time... I read in the Bible that someone had an interlude with an angel. What was their response? Yeah, I'm dead meat. I am dead meat. And I got people who, oh, yeah, they're all around you. You want to talk to them? No. I have enough things that scare me without an angel saying, God sent me. Uh oh. <laughs> There, listen, when I grew up, you know what we called that? Far out. 
I mean, you're doing some kind of heavenly thing. And you know what? When you see people who are chasing this, I remember we were going to do a front range prayer thing and they wanted to pray specifically for Castle Rock. So, you know, I was just, I'd been the pastor here for a couple of years and they contacted me and said, we're all going to get up to the base of the rock and we're going to pray, pray over Castle Rock. And I was like, well, what harm can be in that? <laughs> was I so foolish? Okay, so we hawk up to the bottom of Castle Rock. We're sitting here, and there's this guy. He, he, I was like, this guy's got some kind of Moses complex because he was wearing a big old brown wool thing with a hood on it. He was walking with a stick and all this other stuff. And I was just like, yeah, whatever. So, you know, because it was kind of warm. And I thought, man, that guy's miserable. You know he's miserable. So we got up to the top, and I'm standing there like this. And they said, well, what we want to do, because you could look over, and uh, there's a little elementary school. Uh, on the east side, and then we wanted to pray over the schools. You can see the Justice Department and all these. We're going to pray over Castle Rock and all that. I said, no, I ain't got no problem with that. And then all of a sudden, the guy comes up to me and he says, I'm looking at the rock and I see bondage. And I said, what? He says, look right up there. You can see the chains of bondage on the rock. So I'm looking up at it and I was like, it's probably just some climbing gear that somebody didn't retrieve. <laughs> and I don't know what the guy was looking at. I never did figure that out. And so we went down and they wanted to pray down at the pavilion. I was like, you know, I'm all prayed out, dude. <laughs> I better, I better go wash myself so I won't be, I can be unclean <laughs> until the evening. Look at the verse, end of verse 18. They, visions he has seen inflated without cause by his what? Fleshly mind. We looked at that this morning in Sunday school, didn't we? You cannot please God in the flesh. Okay, there are those people who say in Christ, but I need these experiences. Okay, talk to an angel. Why? It will inflate your ego that you have to say to people with a straight look. I am proud of my humility. Christ plus legalism. Nope, you'll get more. Christ plus human philosophy. Nope. Human wisdom. Nope. Okay, then there's the fourth thing in this chapter. The theological term is asceticism. Now, now that you all are tickled to death with that, it literally means self-denial. Okay? The Terry words would be monkness. <laughs> okay? Walk with a stick and burlap in July. <laughs> and... I'm spiritual. No, you're an idiot. But <laughs> you're still God's creation, but it just proves that he has a sense of humor. Beginning in verse 20. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, remember what those are, the wisdom of man, the philosophy of man. Why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not touch, do not taste, which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance to the commandments and teaching of men. These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom and self-made religion and self-abasement. And severe treatment of the body, but there is no value against fleshly indulgence. It's an earthly religion. It's a man's religion. 
It's the basis of human religion. You know, I was listening to some people try to explain to me uh, Satanism and how the circle is all encompassing and digga, 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 and all the rest of it. And I just looked at the guy and he says, well, what do you think? I said, I think Satanists embarrass the devil. And they said, what? I said, yeah, I think it embarrasses him. Well, how can you say that? He's dressed as an angel of light, not as goat's head soup. He wants you to think he's on the road to Jesus. I I mean, it is so silly. But see, Satan's religion is humanism. He gives you the information. You can get it figured out. Well, God gave us the information and look what we did with it. Anything to deprive your body will make you greater spiritually. I know a group of people right now in Castle Rock, every January through February, they start the year off. We are ready for the great things of God. We will fast the first month of the year. So me and my infinite wisdom says, so you telling me you trash December? Is that what happened? We we, got to start over now this January? Uh, No. Go through the Bible. Get you a concordance. Go through the Bible and look how many fasts there really were. It will depress you. There aren't that many. But we, well, fasting will make you spiritual. Really? It makes me hungry. And they said, well, what do you do? And I was like, just what the Bible says. Well, it says fast. No, it says give thanks and eat. You fast. That that doesn't make sense to me. But I see people who are doing this. And they're conservative evangelicals. You should always start the first year off fasting. I'm a type 1 diabetic. If I do that, I don't have to worry about February. Probably won't have to worry about the second half of January. Self-denial. Okay, so since Colossians 2 and all throughout church history, people who want to say having Jesus Christ is not enough. You need to add to it. And we add philosophy. We add legalism. We add experiences. And we add self-denial. And we think that by adding this stuff, we will be more spiritual. Paul says, don't let anyone mess with your mind with that stuff. Don't let them take you captive. Don't let them defraud you. Don't let them trick you. Key kind of understanding this. I want to share with this and we'll close with this thought. So I want you to think about this. We are in Christ. If you're saved today, you are in Christ. Got it? In Christ. All right. We all agree. Amen. Amen, amen. In Christ. Chapter 2, verse 9. 
For in him, all the fullness of deity dwells in body form. Verse 10. And in him, you have been made complete, and he his head over all rule and authority. Got it? Let me ask you a question. What's missing in Christ? Paul is telling us we have no need of anything else. No need. When Jesus said, it is finished, he meant it was done. Now, I want to show you something. For in him, okay, in Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. Amen. Then what do you do with the fact that you're in Christ? How much of the fullness of deity is there? Now, you get a little better idea on why being in Christ freaked Paul out. What's missing? Nothing. You're in Christ. Remember? We read this. Remember? Before the foundations of the world. Remember that? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that would be holy and blameless before Him in love. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the kind intentions of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, which He freely bestows on us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his glory which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intentions which he purposed in him with the view to the administration suitable to the fullness of time that is the summing up of all things in Christ things in heaven things in earth in him so that we have attained an inheritance having been predestined according to his purpose who works all things after the counsel of his will to the end that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory in him. You also having listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed with him with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with the view of redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. Because the fullness of God is in Christ and we are in Christ. We are complete in Christ. Listen, brothers and sisters. That is the pure, unadulterated doctrine of salvation. All right. And let me tell you something. 
Ask yourself a question. How often do you hear that in the church today? Hasn't changed much, have it? You and I are absolutely, totally, completely sufficient in Christ. We are in Him. And we were placed in Him before the foundations of the world. We were put into the body of Christ before the foundations of the world. That should rock our universe with every breath we have. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for even the battles that the Apostle Paul fought in Colossae and in Ephesus. Um, we fight today, and yet, Father, we know we have victory. Because we are complete in you. Father, I thank you that you have lavished, you have lavished on us all wisdom and insight. And you have made known to us the mystery of God's will according to his kind intentions. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the gracious redemption from our Lord Jesus Christ. And that, Father, in your love and mercy and kindness and grace, you have placed us in him. And that, Father, that we have a comfort that overwhelms the soul. We love you, Lord. We praise you that you've given us this time. We praise you for this word. And, Father, may we, in humble adoration, be as Isaiah. Here I am. Send me. To you, my Lord, my Savior, my King. Amen.